Amen, amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to that place this morning. Let's pray as we turn to God's word together. Father God, oh, how I wish those words were true in my life. In all I do, I honor you, God. I want that. I want that to be true. And Father, I fail you so, so, so often and all too comfortably. My God, we hunger for that. We desire that everything we do would honor you. That by your spirit alive in us, that we would honor you by every word, every deed, every interaction that we have with everyone we meet, God, that it would be honoring to you. And God, we pray that you would make that true. God, we invite your forgiveness. We invite your correction where we need it, Father. And we want to learn. We want to grow so that we can reflect Jesus more and more clearly every moment of every day. God, we praise you. We thank you that we can sing these things even as we hunger for them to be true, as they get more true. And as we turn to your word this morning, God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would draw us deeper, that you would teach us more who you are so that we can reflect you more clearly and love you more deeply and show others who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sounded good this morning, choir. That was exciting. It was exciting. Well... Almost 400 years ago, there was a man named John Bunyan, whose son Paul would go on to great fame as a lumberjack in the American Midwest. I didn't think anybody was going to laugh at that. I thought that was very funny. I was enjoying that very much as I was laughing in my office as I wrote that one. That was for me, but I appreciate your laughter. But John Bunyan was a writer and a preacher in the 1600s in England, and he wrote a very famous book that many of you have perhaps even read called The Pilgrim's Progress, a story chronicling the journey of salvation of a young man named Christian who travels from his home along the gospel road to his new home in the celestial city in heaven. John wrote this book actually while he was in prison for preaching. At that time, the Church of England had some very strong opinions of what preachers were and weren't allowed to say, and he was arrested and spent 12 long years in prison because he refused to give up preaching the gospel by the church put in prison for preaching the gospel. I don't know if you're aware, but the church has actually some pretty messed up parts of its history. That might come as a shock to you, but freedom in Christ has not always been a message that was well received by those in authority. But while he was in prison, Bunyan wrote a great number of books, and in fact, over his life, he authored more than 60 books in total, and he was a proud and powerful preacher of the word and well aware of his own sin and need of a savior and the new life that Jesus meant to offer to us. A truly amazing man and a great leader in the story of the church. But again, far and away, his most famous book and indeed one of the most famous and well-read books in all of history was The Pilgrim's Progress. And if you've never read it, I could not encourage you more highly to Google yourself up on your favorite book-selling store, uh, 
modern English. You can get the old English version if you really want to chew your way through it. But there's modern English versions of this book, and I couldn't encourage you more highly to read through it. It is an absolutely amazing and powerful book with many incredible insights into the journey of the believer and the life of faith and the challenges and the struggles that we face as we travel to our new home with our Father. Again, it contains the story of the journey of Christian from his home in the city of destruction where he finds a book and he learns of his sin and his need of salvation. He travels along this gospel road to the celestial city, to that which is to come atop Mount Zion, meeting different challenges and characters along the way that we encounter every day in our own lives. People like Mr. Worldly Wise Man, Mr. Pliable, Mr. Faithful, Mr. Talkative, And places like the slew of despair, the valley of humiliation, and the very famous Vanity Fair, a place of great selfishness that we now have magazines named after with great pride. Along his journey, Christian talks with these different people about many different things, but there is one line in this book. That has stuck in my head ever since I first read it as a teenager. And it has come to my mind almost every single day since. A constant reminder and challenge to me of what I spend my time thinking and talking about. Christian is walking along and he meets two men, Mr. Faithful and Mr. Talkative. And as it is going to be a long journey together, they ask what they should talk about while they travel. And after bantering back and forth for a bit, one of them laments the fact that so many people want to talk about so many things that don't matter. And Mr. Faithful says, that is indeed a thing to be lamented. For is there anything more worthy of our tongues and our mouths than to speak of the things of God and of heaven? Is there anything more worthy of our tongues and our mouths than to speak of the things of God and of heaven? That line has crossed my mind almost every single day since. And I just can't free myself from it. What? do I talk about? What do we talk about? What are we filling our minds with? What do we care about? What takes up our time? What occupies our attention? And then from that place in our hearts and our minds being filled with these things, what comes out of our mouths? Turn with me this morning to James chapter 3. We're going to continue to walk through this letter as we close out our year looking at God's faithfulness and presence, that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and now looking at what this new life He offers us is meant to be, how we are meant to be changed, transformed, how we are supposed to live. In this letter, James talks about a number of extremely important things, and we've looked at how he handles trials and temptations. 
the difference between listening and doing, the way we see and treat other people. And last week, Pastor Scott challenged us about our faith and our works and that question of really living what we say we believe. And now this week, we come to a hard one. The other ones were easy, right? Our tongues, the things we say to other people, and when we're all alone, and already we maybe begin to shift a little uncomfortably in our seats because we know the pain our words have caused. Turn with me to James chapter 3 and let's read this together this morning. We're going to read this whole chapter. It says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear frigs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace 
reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness in their own life and in the kingdom. Seems like there's two ideas here in this passage, but they connect right together and they feed off one another, and it's an understanding of the power of our words. Do we understand the power of our words? Speech is such an amazing thing to me. I find it utterly fascinating because in so many ways, it's the closest thing we have as human beings to actual magic. You think about it. We experience this life, the world around us. We have thoughts and ideas in our minds and we can create all kinds of fantastical imaginary things. And then with our words, we can take those things and we can give them to someone else. I can tell you about something I've experienced that you've never seen. I can tell you about a person I know or a place and with my words paint you a picture and you can feel like you've been there or that you've met them. Have you ever met someone that you've heard all about and they have no idea who you are? Your spouse or a close friend or someone that they know really well that you've never met, that coworker or something that they see every day and they tell you all kinds of stories about them and you get to know them so well through all these stories without ever having met them and then you do meet them and it's super weird because they don't know who you are and you have this connection to them. You feel like you know all this stuff and it's really uncomfortable. Or sometimes it's someone they don't get along with. Someone that your spouse or your friend has a really hard time with and they tell you all these really hard stories about how frustrating this person is, how angry they make them, the hurtful things they've done, and you build up this emotional reaction to them and you've never met them. person's never done anything to you, but you feel these strong things toward them. Our words have power. They literally change the world around us. Right now, if from this stage I let loose with a string of expletives or rocky language, there would be a physical shift in this room. Just by saying things, we can change things. Change people in powerful and profound ways with a simple encouragement or a scathing remark, we can transform a person's life at least in that moment. But often those words can hang for a long time. Our words matter to us, to other people, and they matter to God. God knows the power of our words because he made them powerful. It was with words that he created, speaking the universe into existence, speaking life, you, into existence. 
Just with words, God wove the fabric of time and space. Reality itself placed the sun, moon, and stars and the galaxies spinning through space. Words are creation and life, and Jesus himself is called the Word. He cares about the words we use and the way we use them. Over and over in Scripture, he talks about our words, our language, the Psalms and Proverbs, the prophets, the stories that God has kept for us are filled with warnings and encouragements about our words. Proverbs 15.4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 15.28, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Proverbs 21.3, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Proverbs 12.18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And there are so many more examples, and that's just in Proverbs. In the Psalms, they cry out over and over for God to protect our speech, to help us understand the power of our words. Psalm 141, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Psalm 34, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. And in Psalm 19, David cries out, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God cares about our words. He knows their power and their weight, and he knows what they can, what they will do to us. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders, and they're accusing him of all kinds of things, and even of being demon-possessed, and that's how he's doing these miracles. And Jesus responds to them and, and challenges them in different ways, and then at the end, he talks about their words, what they are saying, and what it means. Matthew 12, 33, he says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he says, how can you who are evil say anything good? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things from the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. How does that sit with us? It really throws into sharp relief what James is talking about here. Jesus desperately wants us to understand the power of our words, the consequences of the things we say, and the place that those words come from. It comes straight out of our hearts, out of the deepest place in our souls. 
The things that we are filling our minds and our lives with, the movies, the music, the books, the games, the relationships, the choices we make that are shaping and molding who we are and how we think, how we see the world and the people in it and how we behave. And it's all this ocean that it becomes an uncontrollable force flowing out of us through the things we say. And James is following Jesus' teaching here exactly. Because so often when we read a passage like this or hear teaching about this, we tend to focus on the way our words affect others. And even just reducing it down to don't swear hurtful things we might say to them or the way we speak about others, but look at what James is actually saying here. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, your body. and sets the course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Our words, our tongue, destroy us, our lives, our relationships, our body, and the body. Because I don't think James used that word body by accident here because I think he means two things with that word. He spent a great deal of time in this letter talking about our own lives but also our lives together as a church. And I think he means us to understand this word in both of those ways because it starts with each of us. But we live together. We are the body together. And our words, even in private, even by ourselves, hold incredible power to build or destroy, to bring life or to bring death, and they should not be happening from the same mouth, as all too easily is the case. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it comes then to what our heart is filled with. What we are filling it with. If we can't tame the tongue, if it's too much for us, if it's just beyond our control, then we have to surrender and let God restore our hearts. Seeking His wisdom, His perspective, His healing, His direction. And that's what James says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that come from wisdom. Humility. Wisdom, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That sounds like the kind of things we should be thinking about, talking about, filling our hearts and our lives with words and deeds, wisdom and humility from heaven. Wisdom that transforms, building us up and encouraging us, that encourages and blesses others. What do you talk about? What fills your mind, consumes your attention? Where are you on that journey on the gospel road that Christian and his companions walked? Who have you surrounded yourself with and what do you talk about? What do you fill your heart and your mind with? Do you hear the words of Mr. Faithful? Is there anything more worthy of our tongues and our mouths than to speak of the things of God and of heaven? Do you feel that in your soul? Does your heart hunger for the presence of God in that way? For His wisdom and humility to know and to speak peace and love, spiritual things, godly things, to be transformed and to be a peacemaker, as James calls us to be, to speak truth and life and love and power, encouragement and comfort, building people up, raising a harvest of righteousness. Because when we speak, we are planting seeds, spreading our words out over a vast field before and behind us. Seeds of life and joy and hope and peace. And seeds of poison and pain and hurt and bitterness and hate. When you look out over the field you're planting, what do you see? What are your words Growing the things you say to other people, about other people? Do you see a field filled with green things and good things in life? Or do you see a field filled with death, rotten and burned? Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And Jesus invites you to receive a new heart. He wants to give you His heart. To let go of bitterness and selfishness and hurt and pain and receive one full of life and love and hope and joy. To be blessed and to be a blessing. Everything we do and everything we say. Do we want that? Let's 
morning we're going to take communion together, and it's an opportunity for you to consider your heart, the things that you have said, to receive new life in Jesus again, to receive his forgiveness again, to let him change you. This morning we're going to be going back to the way we did communion in the before times. For the last couple of years, we've been serving communion from the front here, but for those of you who've joined us in the last couple of years, this might be a little bit unfamiliar to you. And we've placed crosses, stations around the room. And as a church family, what we like to encourage you to do is to take this opportunity to come to the cross yourself. Come with friends and family if you'd like and pray together, take the elements together, gather them, take them to your seat, pray, sit on the stage if you'd like. And just take this time to consider the gift of life and freedom that Jesus is offering to you. The new heart that he wants to give you. If you're not able to make your way to one of the crosses, our board chair Ed is going to be uh, taking some of the elements around the room. Just flag him down. He'd love to serve you in that way. But let's take this time together and consider what Jesus has done for us and what he is offering to us. And invite him to restore us again. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. And for the journey of these believers who followed before us. The things that they saw and understood. The things you revealed to them about yourself. That they told us about God. That we can know you and see you. We thank you for the power of words. The power they have to build and restore, to encourage and lift people up. Father God, we beg your forgiveness for all the ways that we've seen such damage and hurt and devastation because of our words. God, we live in insecurity and fear so easily. And God, we speak out of that place so readily. We hurt people so deeply. Father, we also have been hurt by the words of others. And God, we pray for healing there that you would remove bitterness, remove that hurt and that pain, that we would be able to walk forward in freedom and wholeness in life, restored relationship. But we thank you for your son, for his sacrifice, for his forgiveness for us. And as we come to the crosses and take these elements, we pray that we would remember the cost of our sin depth of your love for us. We invite you to speak in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You can come forward as you feel led.